How was your holiday weekend? How was your birthday? I was uh, very chill, low-key. Did you guys do anything special? Not really, no. Um, we went out to eat a couple times. We ordered pizza, played some video games. Nice. That's all I needed. So is Matthew like between stuff or school or something? No, um, he is actually right now at, um, it, it's like almost finals week. So he does have a whole bunch of stuff. But actually last night he records his uh, little, he, he records a podcast too. And he does that on Monday nights. That's why I could not do it Monday night. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, we woke up yesterday morning and Mike was like, do you just want to go? Go to the beach? Yeah. And I was like, nice. I was supposed to also have a phone call with a friend. And I was just like, after Sunday, because Sunday was like, everything I've been working on was kind of leading up to Sunday, which is like our brunch buyout. Oh, nice. And it's also the restaurant was participating in like a international food competition called the Bocuse Door. So it was like a lot of stress and tension at work. So when he was like, you just want to leave? I was like, oh my God, that sounds so good. So yeah, we went on a little road trip to Bodega Bay, which I recommend highly if you're in the area. Never heard of it, but it sounds nice. Yeah, I never heard of it either until like this like year from random people. Okay. Like people who don't live in the area. Oh, that's interesting. Like people were like, oh, I've been to Napa, but I've also been to Bodega Bay. You should go there. It's so beautiful. Wow. Okay. Never heard of it. Yeah. I have to look into that. I mean, it's a cute little spot. It's where they filmed the birds, which oh. reminded me we need to pick a Halloween theme. Oh. Maybe this could be a call out to our listeners. If you have any ideas for a Halloween, Halloween theme. theme, hit us up. Yeah. We've done... Witches and candy and monsters and monsters. Okay. And now we're on year four. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I have some ideas if no one adds us, but if you have a suggestion, we will definitely take it. Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Bridget, here with my expert in German folklore, Molly. Mm, nice. Molly, what do you know about doppelgangers? Oh, well, I know some. That sounded really confident. <laughs> it was more just like... Because I'm trying to remember exactly the connection between doppelgangers and changelings. Yep, there is a connection. Yeah, because I, I think I probably know more about the changeling aspect as opposed to just like a random doppelganger because that feels more like more sci-fi. The doppelganger does? Yeah. Interesting. Or is that just like, oh, you look the same, so... It's funny, haha, kind of like less serious. I think it's kind of a little bit of everything. Okay. We'll get into some real life examples, but we'll also talk a little bit about the origins. The word doppelganger is German for double goer. And in German folklore, a wraith or apparition of a living person, it's distinguished from a ghost. Okay. So it's the concept of the existence of a spirit double an exact but usually invi usually invisible replica. Ah. And this goes into, like, there's ancient examples of this. 
there's thoughts that if you meet your doppelganger, that death is imminent. Right. Yes, I've definitely heard that. It's a popular theme, of course, of horror literature. Mm-hmm. And one of the earliest references may be in the Zervanite branch of Zoroastrianism. Yes, you got that right. Oh, I did? Yeah. Nice. At least as far as I know. I'm not an expert, but... Well, this sect distilled the general abstract duality of Zoroastrianism into a concept of manifest twins born of modest time. Now, I have a question for you. Yeah. Why do you think that no other culture has a term for doppelganger? We just take the German one. Oh. But, you know, like English-speaking people usually know that term. Just interested that we didn't, you know, come up with another. Yeah. It's probably the prevalence of this story that it's tied to. Mm, yeah. So it, we just know it from one place. So. Yeah. Because it comes from a German novel. My guess would be like this novel kind of was popular enough that it became part of people's vernaculars and it became definitive because like even within this ancient religion, the idea is that these twins, Ahura Mazda and Angra Manu, uh, were co-eternal representations of good and evil. Okay. So it's, it's not as like, they're twins, they look alike, but it's more conceptual. Whereas like, I think the German story made it more kind of like a birth of modern day horror. Like, here's this scary story I'm telling you. We're calling it a doppelganger. I am interested because it feels like a very, like only German concept. Like why doesn't the rest of the world have these kind of stories? Well, I mean, they do. I'm about to go into. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. I think the German one, like I said, it's the one that kind of opened it up to a more simplified thing we can all point to and talk about. But it was also in ancient Egyptian mythology. Okay. So a Ka was a tangible spirit double, having the same memories and feelings as the person to whom the counterpart belongs. In one Egyptian myth called the Greek princess, an Egyptian view of the Trojan War, a Ka of Helen was used to mislead Paris of Troy, helping to stop the war. Okay. So these are kind of like ideas that maybe... People aren't evil. It's their evil twin doing this bad thing. Yeah. Or, and I don't even think it's necessarily, I mean, in a lot of stories, the doppelganger is kind of seen as bad or evil. I guess I kind of think, this is probably terrible. I kind of like thinking, what if you were the doppelganger? Yeah. You're just carrying out your existence of whatever that is. I guess my thought on the term is like more neutral, whereas what you're talking about is more of like the evil twin, which I guess we do have the word evil twin. So there does seem to be differences. Yeah, I think that's because as humans, we like to assign morality to like the other, yeah. everything. So if it's not me, it has to be evil. Which is... Which would explain my sister's relationship to one another. Oh, no. Our twins. Oh, no. Uh, I... Twins have a strange existence. Oh, 1,000%. If you end up having twins, I don't know. Read up on it, I guess. Um, Norse folklore describes entities known as bardogger, ghostly beings that precede their counterparts 
taking their places at various activities and performing their actions in advance. Wow. The spirit with the subject's footsteps, voice, scent, or appearance, and overall demeanor precedes them in a location or activity, resulting in witnesses believing they've seen or heard the actual person before the person physically arrives. So we say spirit, but we don't mean, I think you already said, it's not ghosts because they're like, they appear to be real. They don't have any ghost-like features. Yeah, I think you could even argue kind of like what we've said before about this type of mythical thing where it's like, maybe it's you from a different dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Like a parallel you? Right. And we're just, well, it could be that you're seeing it because of the point. Yeah. And in this Norse folklore version, like this idea of this second spirit or this version of you is not as like scary connotation or like morally corrupt as the traditional doppelganger. Yeah, because if it were, if I'm buying in, it really is like you in a different dimension isn't inherently evil. They just had different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. People from Orkney Islands in Scotland feared small fairy-like creatures called trows, which we've talked about. Maybe they're trows. These are basically the same as, was it leprechauns with the changelings? Mm. Fairies. It's a fairy creature. Yeah, fairy. So, yeah. So basically their whole thing is the switching out the babies for their own. And then... Of course, I always have to bring up Native Americans. I don't know why this comes up in my research, because I feel like every time it does, I'm like, how accurate is this? Yeah. But allegedly, uh, Native Americans had creation myths that provide a role for dualistic twins. So I guess Hopi legends refer to twins who are called the child of the sun and the child of the water. And the Hopi also believed in duality between the upper world and the underworld. Whatever is happening here in the upper world, the opposite is happening in the underworld. Well, I think it probably just comes up a lot because when you really think about all the Native people in the entire world, of course, at least one of them has some sort of duality myth. Yeah. And I mean, we're humans. Yes. I think we tell the same stories no matter who we are, where we're from, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So what connects us. Yes. Maybe that's that should be even more. Yeah. Wow. World peace is in the meaning of the doppelganger. Yeah. So the word, like I said, it did come from a German author, the word doppelganger, named John Paul in his 1796 novel, Seibenkos. The plot features a protagonist, Seibenkos, exchanging identities with his friend and lookalike, Leigerber. Ironically, John Paul invented two words to describe the doubles, doppelganger which was used to name the uncanny lookalike, while doppelganger was used to describe the meal in which the two courses were served simultaneously. What did it mean again? Just for reminder's sake, double... Double goer. Goer, okay. The German is like very literal though, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, remember... Oh, I can't think of her name, but I could picture her face. She was like a German philosophy grad student. Okay, yes, I do. That's ringing a bell. And I remember we'd have discussions about language with her, and she would talk about how in most of German language, it's just like literal words. like Made into words, yeah. That have meaning and just kind of being 
combined together to create a new meaning. Yeah. I mean, German words can be very long. Yeah. So. And so that's part of it. Whereas like, well, the English language is like a combination of, I think, French and German. Right. So like some of our language is similar to that, like doghouse. Yeah. Yeah. But then we also just create whole new words entirely for things, which is why it's hard to learn English. Right. But I was just, okay, so the reason I asked about the meaning of doppelganger was because I was like, why would that have anything to do with a meal? Double goer. Like you're going at the meal twice. So I think it's like a side by side. That's what we'd call that in fine dining. Oh, there you go. Okay. Kind of like when you're being served maybe two dishes at the same time. Huh. Okay. Okay. And it's technically the same course, but they're separate dishes. Yes. That makes sense to me. I think that's what that's saying. Doppelganger has grown to become a default term for any sort of double. So it's kind of opened up a lot. And this concept is in a lot of, I don't know, I guess we'd say early literature, but relatively early literature, like I'm talking 1800s. So like in 1846, Dovevesky, I can't say his name. You know what I'm talking about? Dostoevsky? Yeah. Uh He wrote In the Double, which was about a poor clerk, Goliadkin, driven to madness by poverty and unrequited love, holds his own wraith who succeeds in everything at which he has failed. And then the wraith succeeds in disposing of his original. Dang, that's cool. (laughs) That's cool. That's uh, rock and roll right there. Yeah, that's that's what... (laughs) I was going to say that's sick, but I'm uh, I'm not cool enough to say that. Yeah, you could say that. That's it. That is sick. I am one year older as of yesterday, as of two days ago. You can still say that. I say it at work all the time. They're like, right, <laughs> right. There's also in 1851 there was a famous depiction of doppelgangers that was in a sketch and. An 1864 watercolor called How They Met Themselves by Dante Gabriel Rossetti. According to the interpretation, two medieval lovers are walking through the woods at twilight when they encounter their doubles who glow supernaturally. The man draws his sword in astonishment while his lover appears to collapse in a deathly swoon. The doppelganger imagery occurred in poems Rossetti admired, such as Elizabeth Barrett Browning's The Romaunt of Margaret and pose silence. So to kind of give you some alleged real life encounters that were kind of seen as like spooky omens, in the biography of the life of Dr. John Dunn, English writer Isaac Walton shares a disputed account of John Dunn and his wife's doppelganger. So one night in 1612, while staying in Paris, Dunn was discovered in a deeply disturbed state. This is Dunn reportedly to his witness. I have seen a dreadful vision since I saw you. I've seen my dear wife pass twice by me through this room with her hair hanging about her shoulders and a dead child in her arms. I cannot be sure that I have not slept since I saw you and am as sure that at her second appearing, she stopped and looked at me in the face and vanished. Walton then claims that a messenger immediately dispatched to check on Don's wife, returning with news that she was in very poor health after losing their child. Ooh. So that's one instance. There's also 
some myths and rumors surrounding our favorite, Catherine the Great. One tale recounts her servants discovering her double sitting on her throne while she slept. The empress ordered the imposter to be shot and died of a stroke several weeks later. Dang. Do you have anything about where this idea that you have to kill your doppelganger came from? Like, where does that part enter in? Well, I think she has to kill the doppelganger because she's the empress. You can't have a second empress. <laughs> Certainly, but she died anyway. So it seems like it didn't work. Well, I think it's more of a... That's where the omen thing comes in, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't really matter if it's supernatural or, I mean, if it's... If you kill it or not, it's still an omen. Of death. An omen's an omen. Hmm. Um, another popular story about Johann Wolfgang von Goethe describes a benign but prescient encounter with his double on horseback. The sighting occurred in the early 1770s on his way to Drusenheim and was of his spectral self in unfamiliar attire passing without a word. Years later, Goeth once again found himself traveling that road, this time incidentally wearing the gray coat of his premonition. So that definitely sounds more like that was him. That was just like literally another him. Yeah. Like it was some sort of like memory or foretelling. Right. Which is like, I think lends itself to that everything that is going to happen has already happened. Yes. Yes. Time isn't real. We are all just biological machines and free will is an illusion. <laughs> Yay. I was getting existential over here. <laughs> There's another famous one of Percy B. Shelley, who his wife was the Mary Shelley. Oh. He wrote of a double in Prometheus Unbound and later claimed to have seen his own doppelganger before his death in 1822. Mary Shelley later recalled that Percy had visions of strangling her and mentioned an episode in which his double approached him. Uh, she's quoted from a letter to her friend Maria Gisborne as saying, All this was frightful enough. And talking it over the next morning, he told me that he had many visions lately. He had seen the figure of himself which met him as he walked on the terrace and said to him, how long do you mean to be content? If you're not sure, I think Molly knows, but Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Right, right. And she's like kind of the original goth queen. People yes. credit her as kind of being the first science fiction writer. So this other story is kind of one that I've heard like on TikTok. Ah. But I think it's very interesting. It's about Emily Sagi who never saw her doppelganger, but everyone else around her did. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, that's weird. She worked in an exclusive girl's school. She was a very good teacher, but she kept moving from one job to another for some reason. In 16 years, she had changed positions an impressive 19 times. In 1845, the school found out why. Sagi was allegedly the center of some bizarre doppelganger activity. Her spectral twin was first seen during a class as 13 students witnessed a doppelganger standing by Sagi's side and mirroring her movements. Next, it stood behind her as she ate, pantomiming her movements. And Sagi herself was completely oblivious to the apparition. 
despite the fact that everybody else could see it clearly. However, she did become strangely groggy and powerless when the doppelganger manifested, and the wraith was often seen doing things that Sagi later said she'd been thinking about at that moment, suggesting she may have had some subliminal control over it. Soon, the doppelganger ventured beyond Saggy's immediate vicinity. At first, it appeared to be a classroom full of students sitting calmly at the teacher's chair while Saggy herself was outside working in the garden. The few people who dared to approach the doppelganger found that they could pass through it, yet it had a texture that reminded them of thick fabric. Although Saggy was a model employee at all non-paranormal accounts... The headmistress had no option but to fire her and her ghostly double. Whoa, that's creepy. Time went by and the apparition became a permanent fixture on the school's life, freaking people out regularly. The girls' concerned parents started removing their children from the school. Oh my gosh. This This is really insane. That's an insane story because that means like there's way more people who can see that. Like, that's not just one person hallucinating. Yeah. It's like multiple. Well, I mean, look at the Salem witch trials that started out with like one, a bunch of teenage girls saying they were seeing things. Yeah. Yeah. You, what year was this? 1845. Okay. So this would have been during like the occultist movement. Okay. Wow. Interesting. That's an interesting story. So the last sort of famous story I'll end on before we get into the rationalizing and some of the science of doppelgangers is Abraham Lincoln, which was chronicled by Noah Brooks in his book, Washington in Lincoln's Time, published, I think, 1895. So according to his account, soon after Lincoln was elected in 1860, he arrived home one day and looked into the bureau mirror where he saw himself reflected in double. Lincoln said, Nearly at full length, but my face had two separate and distinct images. Lincoln noticed that although the images were nearly identical, one was a little paler, say five shades than the other. His wife is said to be worried and told Lincoln she believed that the paleness of the dual image was a bad omen, which meant Lincoln would serve his full term, but not live to finish his second. We should we should do a Mary Todd episode because yeah that's that would be very interesting for sure she was an occultist and like really into that stuff. Question about the mirror thing: How often does mirrors intersect with doppelganger? Do you think? Oh, I'm sure tons. Yeah, because this is the first time we've mentioned it, but it has been on my mind. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. I know there's like famous accounts, right? Where like I feel like modern day horrors. Use a mirror as like a way to for the passing of the two spiritual worlds. Yeah, like I feel yeah. like that was like, uh, are you afraid that dark episode or something? And also, I think we talked about this on our mirror episode, but just the idea that once when humans can see each other, I think that probably activates the imagination and probably is part of the cause of some of the, these stories about another you because if you can see another you well yeah there's that old apocryphal story about like how native americans allegedly didn't like their picture taken because oh right yeah they thought the photos were like stealing their souls oh yeah 
I remember that. Wow. Who knows if that's real? But I know. Who knows? It was definitely passed real. around a lot. I mean, we repeated it. Yeah. So to kind of provide a pragmatic explanation, psychologists have identified neurological conditions such as pedoscopy, in which one hallucinates their own image at a distance. This may explain many cases in which the original was the only one to see their double. Wait, this is an actual condition where something in the brain makes you see yourself for real? Yeah. Like, it's not like a psychological condition. It's like a neurological condition. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's kind of insane. But don't you feel like a lot of stuff now, like, I feel like when we grew up, it was like, oh, it's everything is psychological. This is psychological. Yeah, yeah. But now we're finding out it's like yeah. there actually is neurological or the way your actual brain is programmed. It's right. not just a cycle. Like psychology can maybe help you reprogram your brain, but your brain does weird shit. Exactly. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. You, you saying that has really brought some things into focus. We should probably stop using psychology to explain everything. Yeah, stop saying things are psychological. Because yeah, that feels feels wrong now. I also think it's strange. It's a little off topic, but like something I've noticed with a lot of millennial parents is them pointing out the anxiety of their children. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, does that doesn't that sort of feed into their anxiety? Yeah. If you're like recognizing it and making a point about it, then they yes. see that then they're getting noticed, and then you're causing a whole other stream. Oh my gosh! Yes, don't do that. I mean, I know that it's probably gosh, anyone who listens to this. Like we shouldn't ignore people's anxieties, but I think also just like pointing them out is also not helpful. No, it's not because I think that kids embody those kind of things. If people tell you, like my parents told me I was shy, so I was shy, like kind of thing. Yeah. And then you're wondering if people didn't label me as that, would I, yeah. would I be different? I don't know. Don't label your your children. Please stop. <laughs> Just let them live. Just let them live. Sightings by multiple witnesses still lend themselves to supernatural explanations because there's really, that one's harder to explain, right? The doppelgangers often to appear as one falls asleep or falls ill. This has led to a belief that our bodies can no longer hold on so tightly that our spirits are free to wander. That's a more supernatural expression of that, but... If you if it is happening when you're sick or sleepy, that also feels like it's more of a brain thing. Yeah. Well, that kind of reminds me of the death thing. Like people who are dying, who it is kind of the same, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're talking about our death episode where yeah, people yeah. saw loved ones. Right. Which is interesting if you see yourself. Yeah. Well, and also I was thinking more like, Wait, didn't the moment of lucidity before you die kind of thing? Like, because you're letting go of... Yeah, maybe... No, I'm, I think I'm making crazy connections right now. Well, probably. But the brain is crazy. And it's easy to do that when you're talking about this stuff. So, there are people who appear nearly identical without being related. Yeah, this is where I was I was hoping we were going. Yeah. Because I have watched that video on the internet. Oh, there's a video? That makes sense because when I was Googling this, I found like a bunch of articles from like CNN to New York Times that were like all the same copy yeah. about this yeah. study essentially, which was 
they found people from all over who looked nearly identical and they studied their genetic makeup and their lifestyle traits to find out like, what do we have in common here? And so according to Christopher Mason, a psychologist and biophysicist at the Wheel Cornell Medicine, he was not involved in the study, but he contributed to an article which says this shows a creative approach to finding similar sets of genes in people from around the world. The methods were pretty standard in the field, but an application of them here was novel. Manel Esteller, a geneticist and cancer researcher at Joseph Herrera's Leukemia Research Institute in Spain, who led this study, previously found epigenetic changes are responsible for notable those sometimes slight differences in the appearance in twins with the same genetic makeup. So that got him onto the thought, what about people who have the same face but are not related? So to answer that question, Estella and his colleagues had to find doppelgangers. So the team collaborated with a Canadian photographer, Francois Brunel, and they have been collecting and sharing portraits of lookalikes around the world since 1999. Um, as part of the project that's called I Am Not a Lookalike Project. <laughs> so as Stellar explains, we ran pictures of faces through three different facial recognition algorithms to show they are, in an objective manner, lookalikes. So the team asked 16 couples who were highly similar enough to be identified as lookalikes by all three algorithms to answer a questionnaire about their lifestyles and provided biological samples. From these, the team obtained data on sites in their genomes known as single nucleotide polymorphisms, shorthand SNPs, which are commonly vary from person to person, as well as data on genetic expression, which is the epigenome, and oral microbiome composition. The researchers also used the sequence data to analyze ancestry, confirming the lookalikes were indeed not related to each other. So the team found that people who looked very similar were also very similar in genetics. Comparing the 16 pairs of true lookalikes with 16 other pairs photographed by Brunel that hadn't scored as the lookalikes by all three algorithms, the researchers found that the true lookalikes shared more genetic variants with each other than the 16 less similar pairs. Okay. However, the true lookalike pairs differ when it came to patterns of genetic expression in bacterial communities. So as Stellar says, the differences we see between the lookalikes are more due to the epigenetics and the microbiome. These results were not completely surprising um, as genome-wide association studies show that some variations in genes are associated with facial features. Mario Fauci, who conducts twin research at King's College London, was not involved in the study. Um, He agrees with these results, saying, the elegant experiment described in the paper shows that lookalike individuals are more genetic variants than randomly selected individuals. So, This article is basically saying we got like other opinions on this. That's not just this study. But the problem with this study is that like it is from a very small pool of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's hard to like make any real broad stroke sort of opinions about it. 
Yeah, like the whole, when I watched the documentary, it was like, there's probably almost 7 billion people in the world right now. What's the likelihood that you're actually going to find the actual most lookalike people? Because like you said, the pool you're choosing from is going to be a self-selecting kind of small. Yeah, it's, I mean, because you have to find the people who look like. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a really strange thing. But if you look at the pictures of the people, like I saw, I flipped through some of these articles that had examples of the project. And it was kind of wild because it also had like what part of the world they're from and a lot right, of people yeah, from different yeah. parts. And then even like, I think one of the couple that they had involved were like best friends. Yeah. Who like live in New York. And so I'm like, that's that's even weirder that you'd be like friends with someone who looks exactly like right, you. Right. You're right. It's probably kind of like how you end up becoming friends because everybody's like, you two look like. Yeah. Is this a good time to ask you, have you ever heard that you have a doppelganger? Yeah. Have you? I have. But I was always wondering, like, how accurate could it possibly be? Like... I've never seen my doppelganger. Yeah, neither have I. And, like, I'm wondering, like, it, it was in college. So it was like, is someone just misremembering, you know? Yeah, I've heard it when I lived in L.A. Oh, which is more recently, so... yeah. I'm trying to think where else. I think I've heard it a couple different times and I'd be like, what? I think someone even told me like at a store or somewhere and I went to look to see if I could find the person working oh. there. And I was like, I don't see him. Huh. So I thought that was like so strange. I was like, yeah, I want to know if we really look like. And I've had people like I remember in like high school, this girl I went to school with, she was like, you look exactly like this picture of this girl playing the violin from like the 70s that she had like in her parents national geographic and i remember she gave me the picture and i was like that's crazy did it really look like you i mean it was like a picture from the 70s so it's like i feel like this looks like anyone with the haircut Mm, yeah you know what i mean like it didn't look that distinct to me yeah it's really hard to say because like i remember so i watched the um what i watched was Finding My Twin Stranger, which was a short documentary about the Department of Twin Research at St. Thomas Hospital in England. And those people didn't look that similar, in my opinion. Like, they all had little differences. But it was like, well, kind of like what you were saying, what differences actually matter? Like, what your genes say? Is it just the way that you, your lifestyle, like... Maybe you have a little bit more weight on your face, like those kind of things. Yeah. Like, although the study was designed to examine faces, Stellar says that the team used a very extensive questionnaire, which revealed that physical features such as weight and height also tended to be similar in doppelgangers, as did lifestyle traits such as smoking habits and educational attainment. Mm, But that could also be free will as an illusion. Because we're all biological machines. Oh, yeah. We're in a simulation. Yes. But they all say that that may indicate that similarities extend to more personality-related traits. So adding the caveat that such a claim would need to be carefully evaluated. It's likely that the reported association between facial features and the physical and behavioral phenotypes is due to leotropic effects in which the gene affects multiple 
seemingly unrelated traits and the epistatic effects in which the genes interact with one another. So it's kind of like we have these same habits or way of moving in the world, and then that's going to compound our genetic makeup, which is similar in the same facets and have the same expression. I've been mistaken for my sisters quite a bit. Then when I go back home, and then one time one of my sisters came to visit me at work when I was living in Chicago, and I didn't tell anyone, but mostly because I didn't know if she was like, an, I can't remember what the deal was, but I didn't really mention it thinking it probably didn't matter. And a lot of people were like, there's a girl here who looks exactly like you. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, you do look very similar. That picture that you posted recently on Facebook or something like that was, you could see the similarities for sure. Uh, I mean, we definitely share genetics. A lot of genetics, yes. But actually, now that I think about it, you really look, I think you look more like your mom than anyone Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I think you have the, like, obviously she is much older than you, so you can't really see it. But I feel like you just have a lot of her features. There is a picture of her probably around the age of like between 10 and 13, I want to say. Like, I look at that picture and I'm like, holy cow, that looks like it could be me. Like, I had like yeah, the same yeah. haircut and stuff. And I also, it's strange because I, I get mistaken or not mistaken. I would get recognized for being both of my parents' child. So like if you knew my mom, oh. you'd be like, are you Lynn Armstrong's kid? <laughs> but if you knew my dad, you would say, are you Kurt Flaherty's kid? And oh, interesting. sometimes it would even go back to my grandparents where people would be like, oh, you look like you're an Armstrong or you look like you're Shirley Flaherty's grandchild. Interesting. So you, you're both family, both sides of the family just have strong gene expressions. Yeah. And they're like both fairly Irish looking. So mm, yeah. Which is kind That's of funny, funny. now because I joke around about how I think Mike and I kind of look a lot alike. Ah! Or we have the same like family features. So it's like. So your child is going to be strong in the Irish genes. Yeah, they're going to look like they should be working on a milk farm. <laughs> growing potatoes. Um, so going back to Christopher Mason, who is the physiologist in biophysicist, the Cornell medicine guy. He also had this to say about the findings of this research study. It was interesting to see a genetic connection to the facial recognition algorithm. It shows that using both sets of data could be even more powerful in the future. This could open up a Pandora's box for forensics, but it's exciting. As the results could lead to the use of AI to infer genetic variants based on images of faces. He speculates that scientists could eventually differentiate from the nose or the mouth that a person is a carrier of a medically relevant mutation, Whoa. which could result in early intervention to prevent disease development and more tailored care. That would be great. Yeah, that would be that would be wild. Well, and then think about the people who are like modifying their face. Ah, yeah. But it also like to me, it seems like. That would be one place where we do want AI actually on our side because the problem is that there's just so much data. Like our brains and our gene expressions are just so complex that I don't think that in our lifetimes, if we just have people like, I mean, we have computers, of course, 
So, I mean, maybe we don't even need AI. We just need intense computing. Well, that's still AI. Yeah, yeah. But there's like the AI we're fearing is a sentient AI. Yes, yes. Not a help us solve the mysteries of the brain. Yeah. AI. And that's been the argument for sentient AI is that it's very difficult to teach a machine to have a high EQ. Yeah, yeah. And also be able to do other functionary tasks. Like, that's a hard thing for both those things to combine. But I also feel like once that challenge is out there, there is some asshole who's like, I could do it. I can make this happen or start the building blocks of this concept so that we can all endanger people's lives for glory. Yeah, yeah. Like virtual atomic bomb. Why not? No. So the opposite could also become reality with the results of potentially leading to better facial reconstructions from DNA evidence. So like how to draw a face from the genome. Creepy. So they're still obviously investigating the complete genome. I don't know why that's obvious. Probably because I feel like, especially given the size of people involved, there is a lot more to explore and to like work with here. Yes. Um, But they are trying to uncover additional variants involved in facial similarities. Stellar plans to study the roles of proteums and transcriptiums in facial variation using multiomics approach. Stellar says we will be able to reconstruct the perfect face from biological material, which if we didn't have a complex enough about our physical image in the world yeah yeah so that's doppelgangers that's a fun episode gosh what are you thinking you look like you're looking out into the distance yeah i'm I'm just considering because like at the the first half of this episode was very much like it felt like you know it's part of human history as kind of like art does that make sense yeah it's more of like a concept yeah but then you also have the science side of it where could this be a thing? But the, I mean, it's like people. It's like these are humans with other humans versus like yeah, yeah. the first part, which is like supernatural. A wraith. Yeah. Right, right. An apparition. An omen. And in those early examples, it's like clearly it would be difficult for that to be like a second person in those stories. Right, right. Because... In those stories, there was no other person that just like happened to look like them because they wouldn't have been in that exact space wearing the exact same thing. And that's the other thing, too, is like with these actual humans, it's like a lot of them, like I said, it's international. It's like this guy's from Spain and this woman's from Jamaica. Right. They look the same. Right. It's like very weird that way, too. Doesn't it also kind of feel like the idea that there's so many of us that what's the chance that we all are actually unique yeah like none of us are that's a meetup yeah i mean sure we're like a unique combination of genetics or existence but that is going to overlap and bleed with others like you're going to still share some qualities with other people yes yes like your siblings and your family at the end of the day we're all from like the same cloth like we're all humans we all have 10 figures 10 toes or not all of us but the ideas that we do yeah it's spooky i just know if you see your doppelganger you probably should 
just run away. Yeah, and I wouldn't bother murdering them because it doesn't seem like it works. That's wonderful advice. I think we should end on that. I think so. Where, where else can people get great advice from you? <laughs> you can get great advice from me at Molly M or Molly MM9 on the internet. How about you? Oh, but Molly M is on what platform? Blue Sky. That's right. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram at Bridget underscore suck it. You can find this podcast at sex with ghosts underscore. Like we said, hit us up if you have Halloween theme ideas. We will take them into consideration and probably yes and whatever the first thing is that comes to us. Yeah. And we do love doing theme months. We haven't done one in a while, so maybe we will give that a shot as well. Maybe we'll do a live stream. We should definitely we have do to a do it. We have to because that way. Sorry, we've been in my A. It's been a busy year, guys. But you could show support by giving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast or going to patreon.com slash sexwithghosts. It really helps keep the motor running because Bridget and I are very busy with the research, so it's very helpful for us to pass it off to good friends Vince and Kieran when he is available. So To do the editing. Yes, please. You know that your support goes right back into the podcast. Yes, we love our editors. Thank you for making us sound like humans. Yay. Yay. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.